0: Welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm Bob Delaney, Executive Director of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. Labor Vision, a production of the Institute, focuses on topics of importance to working Rhode Islanders. We hope you enjoy this edition. and welcome to Labor Vision. You're watching the at-home edition. I am your host, Erica Hammond from the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. And joining me today on today's segment is Jill Tracy. She's a licensed independent clinical social worker and the health initiatives manager with Building Futures. Thank you so much for joining us, Jill. Hi, Erica. Welcome back to, I know it's been about a year probably since we last had you on Labor Vision. Yeah, last week. It's, it's been a different year for all. A lot has changed, <laughs> to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that you are still working um, on the same project right now, um, a really important project, and it's getting even more important, um, is the uh, Rhode Island opioids crisis, our response, our recovery, the training that you guys are working on with the building trades, uh, the construction industry. And I just want you to have this opportunity to give a little bit of an introduction about that training, um, what it looks like, Uh, yeah.
1: Great, so we have um, in partnership with the Rhode Island um, Building Council and unions and people in the field, people within the recovery community, um, our own uh, pre-apprentices and our alumni been able to create a curriculum, um, a training package, to help work on uh, addressing prevention issues and how to respond if someone is in fact struggling with a substance use issue uh, specifically targeted at opioids. And we've been developing this curriculum um, for quite some time and now we're really at this phase of wide dissemination We're starting to train some of the trainers within the unions. We're starting to um, get it really out the door and it's been, it's been really great.
0: Awesome. And can you talk a little bit about why this training is so important now? Yeah. uh,
1: As I referenced earlier, this has been quite the year. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of data that suggests that, uh, people are struggling and it's not something that you have to look hard to to find. People are struggling with um, isolation, with worry, with with health issues and economic stressors, of course. Mm -hmm. And for some people, um, it's really led to a greater um, uptick in substance use and uh, therefore dependence. And actually uh, this year, our data is starting to trend that our um, overdose uh, fatalities have really risen both here in the state and nationally. Wow. So it's really important to think about how to address issues of substance dependence all the time and and it's really taking the front row and center again this year.
0: And Can you um, highlight a little bit too why it is that it's so important you're working with the building and construction industry. I know that uh, few we just had on Michael Sabatoni, who this segment will probably be along with his, um, and he highlighted it a little bit. But can you go into some of the, the data around the construction industry and why it's so significant to be addressing this there, um, even more so than any other industry?
1: Uh. Absolutely. Um, there have been quite a few studies in the last uh, few years where people are trying to look at uh, overdose fatalities and who, who's having um, substance use issues in the first place and who are the um, lives and people and stories behind these deaths. And one of the trends that they found is that here in Rhode Island, one in five people who have died of an overdose um, actually had worked as a construction worker. So we think a lot about why that might be. And there are some um, indicators that make it a little more challenging for people that work in this field to take time off if they have an injury um, and to you know treat that injury as needed. So they may lead to more reliance to medication or an opioid um, initially to treat pain. That's one of the theories, there's, there's definitely a bunch of things that, that have come into play with this, um, with this field. Some of it is that, you know, people work really hard in this industry and they also play really hard and they can uh, be known to have some recreational, you know, drinking and things on the weekends. And again, it can start out as uh, initial use and then might lead to dependence later on. So because there's been some data, uh, again, it's been um, replicated in the Midwest and Massachusetts and then actually here in Rhode Island last summer, um, that it's about 20 to 25% of the overdose fatalities were people that worked in the industry, we decided to really target that and and work within the industry to understand um, injury prevention, mental wellness, and Then, how to help support people get into um, treatment?
0: And I know a lot of those components are addressed in this training. Um, Can you? I know that you already kind of launched this training last month. Um, Can you talk about some of the main, the core components of the training? Yeah, I have um,
1: some of the slides. the The presentation is is quite big. Uh, It can. It can be adapted to the audience, which is great. And so it can either run about an hour as a very short kind of quick presentation, or it can run up to three hours and have a lot of um, participant feedback and group discussion. So I have pulled some of the slides from that presentation for um, your viewers to be able to see. So it might make sense to kind of uh, show you those now. And yeah, and, yeah, and that's that a great well. idea. okay. So, the art of screen share. So, all these we've already kind of discussed. um, And we, uh, our partners have been, like I said, the Rhode Island Building and Construction Trades Council. And we've been funded through uh, the DLT through Real Jobs Rhode Island. and all of the training aligns with the governor's uh, Prevent Overdose RI task force. And as far as dissemination goes, we're really working hand in hand with the um, Associated Contractors of America's Rhode Island chapter as well. So, um, let me just, okay, so the training has these six components. The context is really about just that, let's all get on the same page. Let's understand mm-hmm. what an opioid is, how it enters your body, why um, its potency or tolerance can really affect you. Uh, it's, it's really just about what uh, the dependence cycle might look like for somebody who uh, has gone from initial use to struggling, and then how they might find their way to mm-hmm. recovery. It also includes some data that we'll review in a minute, um, just about the numbers and really understanding the story. Industry impact, again, is taking a minute to really dive deeper. This is when there is some great participation and feedback um, from groups about what's going on in the field and what they see um, within their union and job sites. Um, And then we move on to those pillars within the Governor's uh, Prevent Overdose Task Force, which is prevention, treatment, recovery, and then rescue. Um, And so I'll kind of show you a little portion of each. And I think today, especially because we know that um, substance use is on the rise and people are struggling, I'm, I'm going to try to make it some information that could be relevant for people's everyday use. Mm-hmm. There's a two uh, resources that are sprinkled throughout that we call cell phone resource cards that people can take screenshots of and hopefully use those resources as well. Yeah. So when you're thinking about the magnitude of the epidemic, I kind of picture it in the data of um, what's going on on the national level, what's going on on the statewide level, and then how how it's affecting our industry um, within construction. So in 2017, that was the highest uh, number of overdose deaths in um, the United States, and it was over 70,000 that year. Um, and it, it's a really kind of crazy number to think that that would have meant an average of 192 deaths per day, wow. nationally. And unfortunately, as I've already alluded to and probably will keep alluding to, it's looking like our trend is that 2020 will be quite higher than that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then here in the state, um, in the past six years, we've had over 1,800 variances um, die from an overdose. Wow. And In a small state as ours, those that's a pretty big number to consider. Uh, And last year, we had uh, 308 folks um, who died of an overdose and almost 70% of them were related to fentanyl, which is one of the most potent um, opioids. So we're definitely seeing um, this impact Rhode Islanders. And then, Mm -hmm. so if you look at that number of 308 in 2019, as of this morning, we we've already um, had 316 confirmed deaths of an overdose, and that's on track to surpass our highest year, which was 336. In the month of July of this year, there were 40 deaths, which is the state's single highest month ever recorded. Um, Again, I say all this data because it is really important to take a pause and see what's going on currently um, with these these escalating trends. And then this map is again, that same kind of six year span from um, 20, well, five years ago, from 2014, oh six years, 14 to 19, mm-hmm. um, that shows uh, where overdoses occurred by city and town. And the thing that I really emphasize here is that there isn't a single town or city in the state of Rhode Island that has not been affected. Right. Every single um, corner of our state has had um, impact of overdose. Uh, Again, it's really just to emphasize how important this is. So I've already alluded to this statistic of the one in five overdose deaths in Rhode Island um, were construction workers and sometimes people really want to think more about that data and they should, right? We should really think about what those numbers mean. And sometimes I've heard people consider, well, is it because there's a lot of construction workers? Do we just have a lot of people in this industry? And so if you look at it per capita, this is the um, chart, but this one maybe makes a little bit more sense. If you look at it per capita and compare it to, uh, sorry, the next highest industry, which would be the service industry, mm-hmm. service uh, working at a restaurant or any um, service that way, if you compare it that way, that means that. Per ten thousand workers, eighteen of them had died of an overdose um, within the construction industry, versus four within the um, service industry.
0: Okay. So you
1: can see that it's not necessarily related to uh, how many construction workers there are in the state, but in fact, it's it's a much uh, much more impactful uh, issue mm-hmm. in the industry. Mm-hmm. And then. I like to make this point that it's, it's obviously we are focused so much on opioids because the nearly 70% of our overdose deaths are related to fentanyl and opioids are uh, directly related to the industry as far as treating pain and and things like that, but it's not just opioids. There is a substance use issue uh, to be considered and so much of this training can be relevant to all substances. Um, And so this is a, a study from, it's from a little bit of while ago. It's a self, uh, self-reported study, but it's from 2008 to 2012. And it shows that when you're reporting heavy alcohol use in the past month, and it is the longer span of time, right, it's a four-year study, that the construction industry came in second only to mining for um, highest uh, heavy alcohol use. So again, All that to say that substances are really impacting our industry, and it's important to to really have this conversation and keep it going, even in the context of this other public health crisis, right? Or maybe, in fact, especially in that context. Right. So when we talk about industry context, um, we talk about perhaps there's reasons, right? Uh, That injury and pain, people are a little more susceptible to injury, but also that Musculoskeletal pain and discomfort from just using your body every day, right? Uh, yeah. And it's not just acute pain that we're talking about. There's industry expectations as far as keeping up a pace and keeping um, keeping the job going and making sure that you're showing up on time and ready to work every day. Uh, the construction culture, uh, you know, it's. 90% male and can sometimes be a little bit competitive on the job site or mm-hmm. uh, really emphasize that work hard, play hard mentality are some things that are coming out of those group discussions that we're talking right. about, what they see. As I've already shown, there is a heightened substance use and abuse um, percentage within the within the industry. And then those economic stressors, if people don't show up for work, they don't get paid. Mm-hmm. And um, So there's there's a lot of kind of elements to consider um, within the industry specifically. And this is just a little uh, view of kind of what those discussions are. They're sort of targeted discussions around these quotes that we've pulled from the field, and they talk about things that might be true to their experience, might exist in the field, but they haven't quite seen it or they don't find it accurate at all. so we've gotten a lot of great feedback in those small group discussions. I thought
0: that was a really good group discussion when I took part in this, when you were offering it at the lunch and learn seminar, one of them that I went to,
1: yeah. um,
0: I remember taking part in this and it was kind of, it was eye opening to see how a lot of individuals don't realize or, or might think like a lot of those discussions, things may not be accurate or may not exist in the field. And then having someone from the field say, no, that's very, very accurate. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely helpful and it gives a
1: little direction to how we want to talk about what's going on in the industry. And the whole point right. to talk about it, right, is is so that we can really understand how to problem solve here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, address the issues until we really understand what's what's really going on on the ground.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's tough, it's so tough to address a stigma, say, talking about the construction culture and um you don't want to be the person that's dragging their feet because they're sore or you know what I mean and so just talking about the stigma helps people keep that in the front of their minds too when they're on the work site and someone's hurting rather than saying suck it up or something you may actually be thinking how can we be helping them instead you know what I mean right I mean, I mean, that's I mean, that's
1: the whole point of that is <clears throat> sort of
0: Encourage that dialogue or at least
1: that internal thought process of what's really going on um, under the hard hat next to you. Right, right. So, um, the, the rest of this portion is, is really about um, those, those pillars within the, um, the overdose, ta- preventing overdose task force. So, with prevention, Obviously the best way to prevent an opioid dependence issue is to never have an opioid enter your system, right? And so don't get injured, that'd be great. Um, and then if you are injured, what other uh, modalities can you consider as far as treatment of pain? And uh, how do you have those doc, uh, how do you have those conversations with your doctor? If you are prescribed an opioid and, I I know it does sound like this up until this point of the training um, that we're sort of don't ever use an opioid they're not good and and that's not true Uh, sometimes they are absolutely the right choice that your medical team and you have have come up with so um, you know just have those conversations with your doctor and understand safe use of prescribed opioids Um, and then also within prevention to consider that it's not always about physical pain. It's not always about treating physical pain. Sometimes it's about uh, coping with mental pain and emotional stress and strain and how do we build awareness around our mental wellness and how do we build up our stress tolerance to uh, kind of, again, prevent any sort of substance dependence to treat um, any emotional strain. So. That's kind of the overview of what prevention does. So we talk about some injury and strain prevention areas on the job and at home. uh, Tips for talking to your doctor about pain. Um, One of the things that I really like the most on this one is the function over feeling. So not just describing that you feel pain or discomfort, but what are the functions that your body is no longer able to do because of that discomfort, or what are those things that you can do, or you feel it tweaked in a certain way, um, can really help your doctor understand what other uh, treatments there might be available for you. Um, and then <laughs> the other one that I talk about a lot is is actually having a doctor, uh, not just relying on urgent care or something like that, but having a doctor that you have a relationship with Does increase your your own comfort to have this conversation and definitely increases their comfort to ask those questions and understand your treatment history. And, uh, you know, men generally between 20 and 40 aren't known to always have a doctor already um, established. So that would be number one (laughs) within the industry is to definitely um, have a, a PCP. And then when you, let's say you are in pain, either chronic or acute pain, um, there are some alternative treatments to consider. And we talk about, you know, what do those look like? Chiropractic care all the way through yoga or mindfulness. Um, There's always some pushback around like mindfulness as a way to actually treat pain. And and people are usually pretty responsive when I remind them that women in labor uh, use techniques of mindfulness all the time to address pain successfully. (laughs) And and that can definitely get people a little bit more on board with that idea. There's many modalities. Again, these are just uh, different things that people can consider. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so this is a moment where if somebody was um, interested in this, you could actually take a screenshot right here And I call it a cell phone resource card. And in our actual training, we have these little cards and I have them take a picture with their phone um, so that they can save these resources for later. And and maybe if somebody's struggling or having um, some issues with pain, you can text it along. Very good. Um, Safe use, again, it's all about knowing the risks and having a treatment plan with your doctor. If you are prescribed an opioid, taking it as prescribed, understanding the directions, never mixing it with alcohol or any other medications, Um, and just asking questions, especially because uh, tolerance can build in as little as two weeks for some folks that you really want to make sure that your treatment plan is very short um, Mm -hmm. that you're in a constant conversation with your um, healthcare provider. Um, And then as I mentioned, talking about those wellness checks and this is an acronym that I like to use in the training uh, to kind of check in on yourself and also to check in on a, a friend if they're uh, feeling a little off. Sometimes you have that, especially these days. I think a lot of us are feeling this like, oh vibe sometimes, and you're not quite sure what it is that doesn't feel right, but it feels a little off. Mm. Um, and this acronym, HALT, uh, is a great way to just check in on yourself and see if there's something that you haven't been attending to that you could. So hungry, kind of thinking about all the ways that uh, your body has been fueled by food and nutrition. Are you actually eating good food? Is it just, you know, relying on some comfort food? How has your appetite been higher, lower? You know, anything to do with hungry, right? Mm -hmm. Angry, anything to do with um, your emotions, your mood, your, um, how, How is your emotional health right now and are things being triggered quickly or not uh really understanding that lonely it's hard to not spend some time here because we're all feeling some pretty significant isolation these days and right uh, how do we how do we combat that especially as we head into winter when you know things are harder to to see people outdoors and so how do you combat being lonely and um, reach out to people. Um, tired again, anything to do with your sleep health. So are you getting too much sleep, not enough sleep? Do you have a pattern that you're following? And how is your body feeling as far as that goes? And then, excuse me, self-care. So how, how are you taking care of yourself? And the thing I love to push back on is when people say, oh, I do X, Y, Z for relaxation to make sure that it actually does relax them. The best example is probably video games. um, That Tons of people say they play video games to relax themselves, and I know tons of people that actually they seem to get more upset while they play play video games. Um, So I always question if you're doing something to
0: relax yourself, make sure that it actually is in fact (laughs) <laughs> right all of this this entire wellness checkup too it's so it's no question that this is super super important right now during the current climate we're in with COVID but it's really important too for to re- remember I'm always reminding myself how important all of these checkups are not in times of COVID not when there's a, a pandemic happening you know what I mean mm-hmm. exactly you remember
1: to do. Um, sometimes it's hard to it's hard to kind of keep reminding yourself when you're so busy with other things that mm-hmm. oh yeah that actually does affect how I feel.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: so this is again all within that prevention category and to really consider um, all the ways that somebody might be feeling off, not only yourself but people around you. Right. And then um, coping skills. Again, just thinking about prevention. So what do you do to actually take the next step if you identify that something is off? You know, not only do you eat because you're hungry, but you might want to take a little bit more time to think about um, how to deal with stress and, you know, reach out for support or work within problem solving. And everybody kind of has their own preference. I'm sure, Erica, you're kind of looking at this and thinking, oh, when I'm stressed, I always do X, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I think all of us have sort of our preference of what we do and making sure that we're actually doing them. Mm -hmm. And then um, this is another one of those times where you could take a screenshot and it's a list of, these are just the icons, right? Of the um, apps that are available. There's tons of them, but these are some of my favorites that can kind of support mental wellness. They can help uh, maybe establish uh, an initial conversation with a therapist, or they can support um, addiction and dependence issues down there like Sober Grid and the 12-step app. So just that it is hard to access resources, but a lot of us do have um, accessibility to apps either on a phone or a tablet. And um, some of these have great ways to just start a practice of meditation, for example. And then, So that's all the prevention stuff, right? So let's say somebody is struggling and they could um, really benefit from treatment. That's sort of, I think the the meat of this training is that we really wanna encourage people to actually take that step. And it can be a really hard one to take that step to have this conversation with somebody you know that's struggling. Not everyone that's watching this is a mental health expert. Not everyone is comfortable talking about feelings. Not everyone is, um, is aware of how to even have this conversation. But I would say that people are experts on their friends and family, and they do know when something's up. And to trust your gut, and to initiate that conversation is so important. Hey, you know, it seems like things are a little off and, um, and sometimes things might be a little off and they might be willing to talk to you about it and other times they at least acknowledge that you're uh, looking out for them and then maybe when they are ready to talk about it, they'll come to you. So thinking about some non-judgmental ways to initiate that conversation. And another one of our uh, resource cards is right here. And it's just some great resources, websites that I've really liked on how to start those tough conversations, um, having to do that with friends and family. Previously, it was really hard to understand how to how to start it, right? right. Uh, and so sometimes this, this will help.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I noticed that these resources are not only for individuals who may be using, but also uh, specifically for to either friends or family members or co-workers who may be wanting to have that conversation because they think that something might be up with a loved one or with a friend, right? So these, but all of these resources kind of go for both ends of it. Right,
1: how to, how to start that conversation. And then if you are struggling yourself, um, the Just Tell One website has a lot of resources on how to sort of initiate those conversations with people you trust as well. Okay. And then obviously more than just saying, Hey, I'm here for you. And I want to help you, um, having an understanding of the landscape of all the different treatment options in Rhode Island, um, is, is important. So, we include a lot of detail of this part in the um, training, and there's tons of tons more detail <laughs> <laughs> everywhere, right? But the biggest part, I would say, is here. And again, if you, if you don't want to screenshot anything else, do this one, because um, having this accessible when you're with a friend who is struggling is so key. Um, I would even encourage people to just save this number, this BH link number on their phone. Um, it's 401-414-LINK. Um, and it's actually a physical site in East Providence where it's a 24 seven triage center for any behavioral health issue, any mental health, any substance use, um, anything. So you could physically go there or you can call and you don't have to be um, the person who is dependent to call, you can be anybody and call and ask for resources and they can connect you to, um, you know, kind of all of those other pathways. So Um, I would say probably the easiest thing is use them as sort of your uh, one-stop shop and um, we really have been lucky to have such a great resource that's only a few, uh, I believe it's like a year or so old, maybe two years old. Wow. And it's been pretty successful um and then you know leaning on your members assistance programs is, is key and reaching out to your union for um any member issues or if your family member is struggling mm-hmm. they
0: have those supports for a reason mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was pretty incredible when talking to michael sabatoni from the rhode island building and construction trades council he did mention these uh member assistance programs and how they don't just they don't just offer help to members, but to family members who are also struggling or whether it's struggling with a a family member who is struggling with a Uh substance abuse problem or a family member of a member who is struggling with a substance abuse problem. Um, No, that was kind of a roundabout way to say that, but it's incredible that they kind of are leaving no one behind in this. Um, So those are really important resources to tap into.
1: And I will say any health fund that I've talked to, any benefits office um, that I've had any discussions with have been so overwhelmingly helpful. And really their answer every time is, if we have somebody struggling, we're going to figure out a way. We're going to figure out a way to support them. Um, And it really does lend itself to the the power of unions, you know, and, and how much support they can provide each other. So um, kind of wrapping that all in a bow is okay so if somebody does go to treatment uh, and then they, they come back <laughs> from, from treatment and they're working toward recovery, how do we support those folks and, and how do we support them at home in our communities and of course on the job site? Um, and fortunately there are uh, the number is actually maybe even a little higher than this, but there's between 22 and 23 million people in the United States that identify as in recovery, which means you know it's proof positive that recovery is really possible, and people are living high quality lives uh, after struggling with some dependence issues. They are able to uh, to work toward recovery. So we do talk about recovery as a process and not a single event um, and perhaps, you know, how somebody moves from initial use all the way through uh, that stage of recovery and ideally towards sustained long-term um, recovery. And it's all about how to have a supporting relationship with, with people in recovery. So here's some examples that people have, have talked about. and. You know, focusing on the individual person, being available for uh, discussion, even just saying the words, I want to help, um, are, are simple ways. Uh, promoting healthy choices. And one of the things that I, I talk a lot about is sometimes, you know, Friday after work, it becomes really common to go out drinking to a bar. And, you know, if somebody's in recovery, you may or may not even know. Uh, they're never going to say yes to that. Or or if they do, they may not be very comfortable with it. So, you know, offering to go out for coffee instead is a, is a great alternative that can be uh, very recovery sensitive and also still give socialization, still be totally common. Um, so mix it up every once in a while. I like Friday ice cream personally. And then, um, and then not only are we supporting people in recovery, we do this uh, rescue training. And rescue training can be available. You can go to the pharmacy and get trained on how to administer uh, Narcan and Naloxone. You can look up a YouTube video. You can go to these quick brief 10 minute trainings or even five minute trainings. often at um, fairs. Sometimes there'll be somebody who's giving out Narcan and Naloxone and they'll train you very quickly on how to use this. and <laughs> It doesn't take long, but I've noticed that since we have a tactile industry who likes to learn with their hands, that when we actually do the physical training and and touch the CPR dummy and touch the practice Narcan, um, there's a lot of conversation there about about what this looks like. Right. Um, So the statistics on um, overdose deaths are tragic. 308, and like I quoted 319 this year, 308 last year. Um, But this statistic does uh, prove that not all overdoses are fatal and that Narcan and Naloxone administration is working. So yes, we have those numbers of overdose deaths. We also had, uh, you know, 1600, well over 1600 opioid related emergency visits last year and in nearly 1,400 cases, naloxone was administered. Wow. those people survived, you know, um, and I think, I think that's important to understand how much this is a life-saving uh, concern, um, a life-saving, harm-reducing um, procedure. Procedure, oh. that makes it sound very serious. It's not.
0: <laughs> um, that's mission.
1: So, I already have done it a few times, and I, I say Naloxone and Narcan. Um, Narcan is the brand name of the Internasal, um, and then naloxone is the generic drug name. Um, and I kind of tend to use it as the intermuscular because that's the generic brand that we're uh, using typically in the state. Okay. So obviously training is more successful when you could do it in person. And like I said, it's, um, it's easy to kind of be trained and get trained, but I did want to just give some quick highlights on, um, what to look for, for an overdose. So when we're talking about how and when we would respond with Narcan and Naloxone, it's when there's a, um, medical emergency, right? So perhaps somebody has taken, um, too much of a substance and they're woozy and walking around and definitely not uh right let's say you definitely want to stay with the person and make sure they don't fall or get injured or or worse um and perhaps calling rescue might be the right choice that person though is not somebody who would need narcan um you would administer narcan if somebody's breathing has slowed so much or they can't actually even be woken up um mm-hmm. And their oxygen levels are, are lower so that they're turning pale or blue or um, yeah so that's when we would definitely be looking toward administering Narcan. So you call 911, you give Narcan and then you work to support breathing. In the meantime rescue is coming. Um, so again the steps are just Try to wake the person up. Uh, sometimes we call it a chest rub or a chest noogie and you kind of just rub on someone's sternum because mm-hmm. that hurts a lot. And so if somebody's awoken from that, again, they may, may or may not need intervention. They may still need to go to the hospital. They might not need Narcan. Um, calling 911 is key. Uh, <laughs> if you have Narcan and nal- Naloxone on you, um, administering it, nasally or intermuscularly, and then starting um, supporting your breath. If you don't have Narcan on you and you um, believe somebody's having an overdose, you're still gonna try to work to support ventilation. You're still gonna try to work to get oxygen into their system. You're Mm -hmm. obviously still gonna call 911. Um, And then moving somebody into recovery position on their side uh, to make sure nobody gets ill while we're waiting for rescue. So that was kind of the brief way to say it, but I just wanted to make sure that we added that element in a little bit. Um, so that's part of this uh, presentation. Right. And the biggest piece of this is if, if you um, would like to get Narcan, Naloxone, we actually have a standing order in Rhode Island. So anybody can show up to any pharmacy and um, all you have to do is give your insurance, and it'll be um, built through your insurance, but you don't need an actual prescription. There's already one waiting for every Rhode Islander. Um, wow. So you can just go and get it. And then if somebody is prescribed an opioid, now you're actually co-prescribed um, naloxone. Wow.
0: wow.
1: So those were sort of the highlights on, um on what we do in the training. There's... Definitely a lot more depth and conversation that happens um, and a little bit of problem solving and understanding how we can work toward uh, reducing this opioid epidemic within the state and hopefully nationally. Um, But if you have anybody that wants to be trained, either um, a group or union or employer, we have this great Funding source that has allowed us to uh, provide trainings for free. Um, Obviously now during COVID um, they're predominantly virtual, um, but we're able to facilitate a training that can meet kind of any needs um, around these issues.
0: And now if uh, any organization or uh, business manager, business representative, union is interested in getting this training would they just contact you right using this num this email
1: yeah so i have my email here Tracy. it's t-r-e-a-c-y at um, bfri.org and then our website too bfri.org has um, more information about our opioids curriculum and training generally great so that's the core curriculum and training and the other thing that i wanted to just bring to your attention is uh, how we're adapting this to bring it to job sites. Okay, yeah. Um, so we've created this toolbox talk series, and um, it's a five-part series that follows those uh, pillars of prevention, treatment, recovery, and then rescue. So how to um, prevent youth from building up our stress defense and uh, thinking about prevention. And you'll see some of the same like kind of graphics and uh, elements of the training that we just reviewed are within this. And um, a toolbox talk is typically like a 10 minute thing that perhaps a steward might present on a job site um, once a week to talk about a safety issue, right? And so these are broken up into um, small portions to talk about this as our safety issue of of, um, how to address the opioids crisis. So um, we have this one on stress defense, one on um, how to address pain and and do that safely and effectively, Um, finding support, helping people understand how to find support for themselves, their family member or anyone else they may know that's struggling, Uh, how to support people in recovery, I mean, I have this dream of people on job sites having real conversations about how to become recovery friendly on their job site
0: mm-hmm.
1: and how to support their colleagues. Um, yeah. And then of course the rescue training and just how to uh, administer naloxone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, it's a, great, um, it's a great series on, and again, you can see it directly correlates with our curriculum.
0: Right. And I see two really important features of those two box talks. The first one is that it can be something as simple as a giving a quick ten minute training or conversation after lunch when you return back to the work site, right? Mm-hmm. is that you're having these conversations. and like you said before, the more you're talking about them on the job site, the more open I feel like it will people will feel to start sharing and have a more um, maybe possibly per- more personal conversations, or just make it m- normalized to talk about this as a crisis, which it is, um, right? And, and yeah, so
1: here's kind of the information for next steps, the um, our website and my email address, if you have any questions. or And I think the other um, thing I would say is we've adapted this as well. Obviously, today I featured... Uh, the reasons and um, the ways that we've talked specifically about the construction industry, but we've also adapted it outside of the industry. So um, we've talked with other nonprofits, we've talked to other offices and things like that, and have been able to adapt it to um, the needs of their uh, communities.
0: Okay.
1: And I've actually started to talk a little bit more about those toolbox talks as well, being adapted as just like you said, sort of like an after lunch, let's just have a conversation within um, other other workspaces. So I think, I think there's a lot of uh, ability to adapt this information and um, I'm hoping that people will reach out so that we can. work. Right.
0: Yeah. I just want to highlight that again for viewers that this is not specific to the construction industry. So if other viewers are interested in this training or interested in offering these toolbox talks or whatever you might call them for your industry. uh, That's don't hesitate to still reach out to Jill Tracy or building futures about this because it can be, it's ever changing, right? So it can be adapted to any industry. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much Jill, for your time. I know that you guys are still working on this and it's, like I said before, ever changing. So I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, And I'm definitely looking forward to hearing more about it um, as we're able to get this into either other industries and also on as many job sites as possible.
1: Yeah, Um, we're so excited about uh, getting it out far and wide. (laughs) Thank you so much.
0: All right, and for all of you who are viewing from home, you're watching Labor Vision, the at-home edition. Uh, today joining us was Jill Tracy from Building Futures, and if you missed any of this important segment, please check it out at our website, which is www.laborvisionri.org. Thank you so much. We hope to see you back here soon. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Labor Vision. We appreciate your input and encourage your comments. Labor Vision can be seen on this channel three times each week. Tuesday at 7 p.m., Thursday at 8 p.m., and Saturday at 5 p.m.